So last week we're in the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts for several weeks. This is next week 11. Um, coming off the heels of um, what it means to be a Melchizedekian priest. Um, now we're understanding uh, the acts of the saints and what it means to be a saint. Like if you're going to be a priest, how did they live? So we've been looking at the book of Acts and what it means to be a Christian. And for the most part, we've discovered a nasty little secret that we as Christians feel that we don't exactly have to live the way the New Testament says. Um, we come to this conclusion because to actually do it is, requires effort. And we don't like that. So you must not intend for us to actually live this way, all right, because this seems impossible. And we're not those types of people. You, you understand. And then we come to find out that that is exactly what he wants. And he did not write any other new scriptures besides this one. And he wants us to live the same way that Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, Luke, the way they all live, he wants us to live the same way. And this seems not likely. And we come up with these conclusions that we have that pretty much indicate well, that was different back then. We're in the book of Acts. Again, take five. <laughs> Trying to understand what it means to actually live like a Christian because there's a disconnect between what we read in the Bible and that that really cannot or should not be us. Only to come to find out it is. Last week we dealt with the concept of boredom and why most people are bored as Christians, uh, primarily because they are not actually being discipled and they're not uh, discipling other people. When you are being discipled, um, life is definitely not boring. When you are discipling other people, it is 10 times not boring. So the reason why most believers, um, I be in my opinion, fall into self-destructive behaviors, these are things that you know is going to harm you. That man, that woman, that old relationship, that old mindset, that old habit, you know that God delivered you from it, and you keep playing with it because you are bored. You are absent of purpose. You are absent of initiative. And as we discussed on last week, you are absent of angst, which is a good way of saying drama. So you create drama. You let your bills lapse. You spend money that you don't have just so you can figure out how it's all going to turn out in the end. You put God on a on an ultimatum list that he needs to do this and he should do that and I don't understand him and this just doesn't work for me and, and you pull up all your old problems and all your old situations and you dump them all up in, in one big fell swoop because you are bored. Because you are absent of purpose and you're absent of initiative. And so these self-defeating and self-destructive behaviors, you become your own worst enemy. You claim that you want to do better. But doing better utilizes a muscle group that you do not have. So you sit and do nothing, and sitting and doing nothing leads to problems. Now you, you're, you're calling up depressing thoughts. What is the point? Why do I do any of this? It's so hard for me. If I was married, it wouldn't be like this. If I had this kind of money, it wouldn't be like that. And so you sit and you dig your pit out of boredom, like picking an old scab or old wound. Hello, somebody. And here you go picking at that old scab and that old wound because you are bored. You have nothing else to do 
But when you're being discipled, I assure you, you have too much to do. If you don't know, just come follow me. Spend a day with me. Follow me for a week. Be with me for for eight hours. I will promise you, you will be running to get home and get in the bed. I don't have time for no extra drama. I'm trying to release drama. I pay my bills early. I like them on auto pay. Less drama. Hello, somebody. I know exactly when I have to have all that money in. Starting this date is when all my money needs to be in that account. If not, we're going to have problems. So it's very simple. Why would I go and buy a new pair of shoes when tomorrow is the day that all the money is going to start coming out of my account? It makes whether I buy the shoes or not very clear. No drama. No decisiveness. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Hello, somebody. I eliminate drama. I know exactly where I stand when I meet a guy. I'm a pastor. Yep, I figured as much. Bye. I'm a <laughs> <laughs> Had a man come up to the house. He was, uh, what was he doing? Putting an, installing a window. And uh, it was a whole bunch of guys. It's a whole team installing a window. As a black guy, he was very sweet. He couldn't figure me out. So I ran some errands, came back. He met me outside. He said, so it's just you here? Yes. All this house? <laughs> it's just you? Yep. But you're pretty. <laughs> Thanks. I need to get you on a dating app. I know some friends. I, if I, if you, I would take it myself if I wasn't taken. Thanks. <laughs> I said, you don't understand. I come with baggage. He said, you ain't got no kids. What kind of baggage? <laughs> I said, about that. <laughs> but immediately I already knew, you don't want none of this. You don't want this life. Let's just move on. Not you. You know something isn't going to work, but you still try to figure out how and if, if she could, if he could. If I look at it this way, maybe like that, maybe the Lord will. You never know. Maybe he might. Maybe he just might. And you just get now your arm a drama, 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 drama. Just spent two weeks in drama hood for nothing. For nothing. You knew, in, you knew instantly. Instantly that it was a no-go. I know women know. <laughs> women are off the top. But since you're bored, you'll give somebody a chance. <laughs> now, when the pastor finds out, she's going to tell you to stop because you don't need to be playing with people's hearts like that. Hello, somebody. So you got to convince me that it's something to it. And I'm just looking at you going. And then when y'all break up, you come to me and be like, oh, pastor, we broke up. I be like, well, don't lie. You knew what this was from the jump. All you wanted to do was have but you tried to line it up as if it was going to be a viable relationship. And now you feel so cheap that you got to make it a relationship. Who am I preaching to today? You feel like I, I, could, I couldn't have just gave it up like that. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I saw potential. I, I saw possibilities. I'm going to help him with his job. I'm going to help him with his career. I'm going to help her with her salvation. I'm going to get her to be more wifey material. I know I could... Drama. 
drama. <laughs> drama. Because the muscle to trust God to help you with them bills, you don't have. The muscle that allows you to be perfectly content in your singleness, you don't have. Hello, somebody. The muscle to be able to control your own emotions and not make it the responsibility of somebody else to make you happy, you don't have. Hello, somebody. So since you don't have the muscles necessary for a successful life, you then create drama in order to self-destruct. I'm just let that marinate for a second. Because you don't have the muscles needed to create the successful life in God, you self-destruct. It's like you the, one, you the kid that played a game that's losing and say, I quit. This is terrible. Who could ever do this? I quit. I can't be single like this. I quit. I ain't going to ever find love. I quit. I ain't going to ever get no money. I quit. I'm going to blow it on this. I'm not going to ever get out of this. I quit. I'm not, it's always going to be hard. I quit. It's never going to change. I quit. Because you don't have the muscle to succeed, you self-destruct. You could use that same energy, fam. Hello, somebody. And actually develop the muscle. And so when you're discipled, it is my responsibility to make sure I put weight on the area that you need development in. Because you said you wanted to be better at it. Aren't you tired of self-destructing? Well, the only reason you're self-destructing is because you refuse to do the work. So then I give you weights on top of that. And I'd encourage you not to quit. But I don't know how long I can hold out, Pastor. Don't quit. But I don't know how long I can keep going. Don't quit. I think today's the day I'm, somebody literally told me, today the day I'm going to go back. I stopped vaping, and today the day I'm going to go back. Don't you do it. I said, well, what a waste all of this pain was. And you'll keep wasting pain. Y'all you can keep wasting pain. Come on, somebody. If I done went through all of this, then surely I need to make some progress on the other side. I, 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 can't, I can't waste these tears. I can't waste this heartache. I can't waste this pain. I can't waste this angst. You want to go to the gym, sweat it out for two hours, and then go home and eat a box of Twinkies. No one does that. No, because success in one area promotes more success in the other area. So you don't work out, finish your workout, and go eat a box of Twinkies. No, nobody does that. You go home, you try to eat that salad. <laughs> when the smoothie, you might have a chip. Ah, put it down, put it down, put it down. And you go back and you really try because you recognize that you put in some work today. Again, when you put in the work, you tend to want to do better. See how you're self-destructing? So you don't put in the work, and you can't figure out why you keep getting worse and worse and worse and sliding down. And I create. I create ways for you to be disciple. Opportunities and times. Things for you to lift weights. You got to be there on time. Show up with your $50. Let's give it to the homeless. Let's read a book in the Bible. Let's, let's, let's have dinner together. Let's go play golf. Let's do something holy. I create it for you. 
in the areas that you need development the most and you persistently and consistently disregard. Oh, Glenda's not here, dog it. I needed that phrase that she said that I said. <laughs> 20 years ago, Sister Glenda asked me a question when I was just budding into Christian ministry and campus ministry. And she said, if you had to have a model to live your life by, what would it be? I don't remember it, but she has remembered it for 20 years. She's my own personal Israel. <laughs> can, you tell, can you tell us what the statement was 20 years ago? Live life like a fire, soon quenched, desperate to spread. Desperate to spread, yeah. Live life like a fire, soon quenched, desperate to spread. Now I had that 20 years ago. I am so grateful that I live like that. I ordered this, this chart. Anybody ever seen those weeks of my life charts? No? It's going to come and I'll show it to you. Um, <laughs> but I ordered this chart and what it does, it's a, it's a poster that you can mark off and it gives you weeks in your lifetime as little dots. And each week you mark off a new dot. And it shows you how many weeks you've completed based off of your age and then you go and you fill another dot. It's supposed to be a reminder of how short life really is. And the reason I'm telling you this is because your boredom and your lack of actually working towards your goal is not gonna pan out the way you think it is. Because life is short. And some of you are wasting not just time, but you're wasting effort. You're sowing in places that will not yield the results that you need. I'm not just talking about your time, I'm talking about your emotion. I'm talking about your passion. I'm talking about your dedication. And it's gotten to the point where you don't even know where you're supposed to put these things. And some of us are sitting on a very numb state because we can't remember where we're supposed to put this. There's help. Hello, somebody. There's help. Life is so short. That's what we're going to look at today in the book of Acts. If I had to subtitle this message anything, um, it would be subtitled, Part 11, The Acts of the Saints, Wake Up. Wake up! Exclamation point. Wake up. When we left chapter 11 of the book of Acts, Saul had just... Um, went to visit the church at Antioch, and Antioch was a Greek community, and they were all Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles in the same way, at a, at a man named Cornelius' house, in the same way as he was an Italian guard. The Holy Spirit fell like the day of Pentecost on, believe, on, on, on Gentiles. And for a long time, the Jewish uh, apostles felt that this gift of the Holy Spirit was only for the Jews. Now, other people can come to the faith, but this gift of the Holy Spirit, this speaking in tongues, this power of God that will be used to spread, that that was specifically for the Jews. And then we find out when the Holy Spirit fell on Gentiles, before they were even water baptized, that that was not the case. And so when, when Saul, who's a Roman guard, and a Jew hears of this, him and Barnabas go down to Antioch and they spend a year there. 
developing the new believers that were Gentile. That means they were not of Jewish descent. See, one of the benefits of the Jewish community um, receiving Christ is that there was context. There was context to sacrifice. There was context to laws. There was context to why a lamb, who is Jesus, why the Messiah, what a Christ is, what a king, a rulership, all of these things. There was context and a story and a tradition. Well, now the Holy Spirit has fallen on people who do not have this context. So Paul went and Barnabas went for a whole year and they stayed at Antioch. And Antioch was the first time that people were no longer called followers, Jewish followers of Christ, but they were called Christians. It was at the church in Antioch. And it became in its own right a massive force. And chapter 12, chapter 11 ends with it recognizing that prophets were coming from Jerusalem and going to Antioch to prophesy. And God would send the prophets from Jerusalem, the home, all right, to Antioch, to a city of Gentiles, a budding and vivacious church, right? And, and since Saul, who was persecuting the church, has become a Christian and his new name is Paul, people are having a lot of peace. And the church is growing both on the Jew Jerusalem side with the Jews and on the Gentile side. And, it's, and, it's, and there's a connection here. And now the Jews are coming and the prophets are coming to prophesy. This is on... Prophets normally prophesy to the children of Israel. Jewish prophets are coming to the Gentile church and prophesying, giving them the same word of God that they have been familiar with for generation upon generation. It's a big deal. Toward the end of chapter 11, you recognize that one of the prophets, Agabus, comes and he says, there's going to be a famine. And this famine is, and he prophesies there's going to be a famine in all the land. And so the people at the church at Antioch decide to take money collect money, and send it to, to Judea, Jerusalem, where the Christian church, the Jewish church, is thriving. Because when a famine hits, they're going to be hit the worst. Now, the reason why this is stated is because historically they wanted to document that this Gentile church was a part of the church in itself. And this is noted by funds going from this part back to the full body, which is Jerusalem. And it's being done by an apostle to an apostle. All right. So this validates, in a lot of cases, denominations. This validates why denominations exist, their hierarchy, their structure. So when people tell you there's, they didn't have denominations in the Bible, that's not true. They had mass churches and mass organization. They had multiple churches all feeding into one huge organization, both Gentile and Jewish. Yes? In case you just wanted to know. Maybe somebody might argue that with you. Yeah? All right. So that was signifying, and they wrote, recorded it to make sure everybody knew that these Gentiles were a part of the Jewish Christian faith, period. There's no separation. It's not two separate churches running on two different sides. And that both were there one for another. There was no division. On Wednesday night, we had issues with division in our church where we are automatically thinking it's that person versus me, us versus them, and, not, and we don't necessarily think of a cohesive unit, a body working together for the same result. It's why are you trying to out me for something? Why are you trying to make me look bad? Why are you trying to, this is mine, mine's, right? Versus ours. And when you have a church that does that, there can be no flow of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of God flows 
within the confines of unity. So when there's a blockage of ownership that separates people, this is my project, that's your project, this is my group, that's your group, then immediately we have fallen out of the grace of the Holy Spirit. But being able to look across the aisle and recognize that this person is working toward the same goal. When you see that in your disputes, when you see it in your conflicts, that should bring down everything. Like, let me see your heart because you both want the same thing. Versus, you don't want the same thing I want. You ought to, to, to whiffle me, to slander my reputation. You ought to make yourself look good and me look bad. Now, can I be honest with you? I work in a position where this is very common. And it happens all the time. Sometimes people do want you to look bad. Sometimes they really do want you to fail. But in my experiences, me treating them as if that's what they want never benefits me. Do you want me to say it again? There are people that may want you to fail. There are people that may want you to look bad. There are people that might want to usurp whatever God's trying to give you. But in my personal experiences, anytime I treat them as such, I never win. The more catty you become, the more you're always assuming somebody else is being catty with you. The more vindictive you think somebody else is, the more vindictive you become. It's how you perceive everyone is exactly what you become. So while you're saying they're out to get me, you in essence become the person that is out to get them. No matter how you, I know you thought you found a secret way by being so, I see you, I see you, I see you. And the more you see, the more you are transformed into what you're looking at. The more you're transformed into that bitter person, because you know that person's always bitter. The more you're transformed into that selfish person, because why? And think about selfish is a great example. When you know that somebody is selfish, then what do you do? You want to withhold. Hello, somebody. Oh, you ain't gonna share yours. I'm gonna keep mine too. Shucks. Oh, you ain't gonna. Well, I'm gonna do this too. Shucks. Oh, you ain't going to tell me stuff? Well, I ain't going to tell you stuff too, shucks. Are you not going to forgive me? Well, I ain't going to forgive you. Oh, you going to hold that against me? I'm going to hold it against you. The more you see it in somebody else, the more you become that thing that you see. The Bible says you become, you become transformed into that image. And you don't recognize. You over here thinking that you done, you done figured them out. And you looking perfectly fine. And I'm looking at you going, you looking just like them. What you claim they're doing, you are doing. How you claim they view you, you are viewing them in that regard. And, you, and, and so, 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 Pastor, what are you, what are you trying to say? What's, what's, what's the solution? Right. Ignore it. Remember, Christ had a Judas at his table. And he still, every day, treated him the exact same way. And the exact, all the disciples corrected him when he needed to be corrected, loved when he needed to be loved. He did not exclude him. He just kept moving as if that Judas was never there. And when Judas did show up, he understood what his role was and how Judas's role was related to his destiny. So he didn't even have an ought. 
with Judas. Can you imagine if you knew that somebody dealt with selfishness and you recognize at some point that their selfishness was going to trigger something in you and you understood that it's supposed to trigger in me because I'm supposed to fulfill the will of the Lord right here and not be selfish, that I'm supposed to be obedient to the Father right here, right at this point. This is Bible, people. This is how you were commissioned to live. I know this person may have this situation, but I'm going to look at them like they are just as loving as every other friend I have. Some of you have stabbed me in my back. And I come to you and I tell you, I know you didn't mean it. Has anybody ever had me tell them, no, don't raise your hand. I know you didn't mean it. I know that's not you. What does that do for you? What, what does it do for you? Does, does, so, so, so you mean to tell me that you really did have an issue with me. You really did try to be petty. You really did at that moment think the worst, do the worst. Hello, somebody. And I just simply said, it's card all right. I know that's not who, re- you, who you really are. If that's really not who you are, then all of a sudden the real you starts breaking through this muck and mire. All of a sudden you start getting excited that somebody sees you past these mistakes, past these actions. And real you starts breaking forth out of this rocky cement. At the end of the day, if it really was you, and you can't be changed, then you are the proponent to my destiny. Your assault against me is working for my good because that's what the Father has brought to my life. And you can't change that. Hello, somebody. You can't change that. I'm, 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 I'm getting, I'm, I'm already there, Amen. What people don't recognize is how Christianity works. So the children uh, in in the New Testament, they had unity. By the time we get to chapter 12, Herod, he is the grandson of Herod the Great. This is Herod, I believe, of Herod uh, Agrabah. Yeah, that Herod, the second, the grandson of Herod the Great. He comes on the scene, and by the time we get to chapter 12, verse 1, he decides to harass some of the church. And so he kills James. Now, it's been 11 years since Stephen, the first martyr, died. Saul, who became Paul, has been out of commission in that uh, persecution side because he's become a believer. So the church has had a lot of peace for 11 years, a lot of growth. And I'm pretty sure that the Jewish uh, followers, that, the Jewish people that weren't followers of Christ are probably like, don't send nobody else over there to talk about them Christians because they might get converted. <laughs> Just leave them alone. <laughs> All right, so now they don't have a strong arm trying to persecute for 11 years. And then Herod shows up and he becomes a tetriarch or a ruler under Rome. Now Herod's past is sketchy, to say the least. He's constantly running from debt, from one uh, providence to another providence, running up a tab. Um, He's known to, uh, he had a friend, made a friend, Tiberius, talked about Tiberius, couldn't wait for Tiberius to die so that his other friend Caligula could take the throne. Uh, So Tiberius threw him in prison, then Caligula did take the throne, and Tiberius died, and then Caligula got him out, and now he's reigning and ruling. But he's known to really pretty much do whatever is best for him. 
So when he sees that the children of, of uh, uh, the Christians and, and persecuting the Christians makes the church happy, he proceeds and he kills James. Now, this is James, uh, the brother of John. Remember, James and John were the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. And in order for this to really make sense, we have to look at what happens next. Okay, so James is killed by Herod the Great. When Herod the Great, I mean Herod the Great, Herod the Second, when he realizes that this pleases the church, he proceeds to go after Peter also. And so he gets Peter, throws him in prison. Now the thing about, about uh, Herod is that he has Jewish roots. He was a Jew from Jewish descent. Now he's in the Roman hierarchy and ruling, okay? But he has an affinity for the Jewish people. And some say he's always trying to get back to his Jewish roots, giving alms. When he was released from prison by Caligula, Caligula gave him a gold chain, and tradition has said that he took that gold chain and gave it to the temple. Always favoring the Jews as a way to get back to his Jewish, his Jewish past. So when this pleases the Jews, he's like, yes, I'm in there. All right? So then he goes after Peter. It's during uh, the Passover, so he keeps Peter until after the Passover. While Peter is in jail, people are praying. The Bible says in chapter 12 that all the saints are praying. They are praying continuously. All right? Now, if you read on, I'm confused because did they pray for James? Because James died. <laughs> and, I, and I wonder if they ever really prayed continuously for James. Did James get arrested? And they was like, we don't know what's going to happen. Lord bless him. They move on. Then he died. And then they got Peter. was like, hold on. We need to really beseech, beseech the father. And so the entire, it's probably sound like us, don't it? Like, oh, oh, this is serious. Oh, people is dying. Oh, 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 this, oh, this, oh, it's going down. It took one person to get you back stirred up. Anybody ever been there? It took one thing in your life to set fire back in your belly. Don't despise these things. Lean into them. That's why that painful moment was brought, because you, Miss Ma'am, Mr. Sir, have gotten too far off and too comfortable. You forgot that there's a roaring demon and devil out there. You got all comfortable in your life focusing on the wrong things, and then this big old thing happens and something dies. And before the next thing happens, you start praying earnestly, as you should. Don't let that sacrifice be for nothing. Don't let that loss be for nothing. Don't let that heartache, that conflict, that crisis be for nothing. Let it put a fire under your feet. Hello, somebody. Let it push you to where you're supposed to be. Hmm. Or not. You can just sit there and let my words become Charlie Brown's mama's voice. <laughs> because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he sought after Peter. He sees Peter. The church began to pray. Peter is in prison. And... Let's pick up there. Um, somewhere around verse 7, um, Herod was ready to bring him out after the Passover. Um, he had him guarded by four sets 
of four soldiers. So four squads of four. And um, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by Paul. I mean by Peter, excuse me. And a light shone in the prison. And the angel of the Lord struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, wake up. Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. I would underline, put on your garment. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was being done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were, at, uh, were past the first and second guard post, they came to an iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, and where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran and announced it, that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord has brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren, and he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had happened or what became of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there. Stop right there. So, Peter is in jail. The saints pray. An angel of the Lord comes and releases Peter from prison. Now, Peter's got a thing, all right? He's got to tell about when he's given up. And some of us have a strong tell about when we give up. And if you look carefully at Peter's life, there's a tell here. And every time he does this thing, the father has, correct, has to correct him for the action that resembles him giving up. And some of you have actions that resemble you giving up. And Peter has this thing. I'm going to show it to you, but you got to see his story fully to comprehend it. I asked myself, why Peter? I mean, James had died just before. Why is Peter getting saved and James didn't? And when we're so eager to preach on the releasing of Peter from prison because the saints prayed, we completely skip the idea that James died. We go right to God will deliver you. The chains will fall off. His light will shine. And this is all very true. But there was just prior to this, Someone who the chains did not fall off. Someone who the gates did not open. Who the light did not shine. And nor were they released. 
This is the part of Christianity we don't like to talk about as black church members. Because it doesn't fit our, our mindset about what life is supposed to be yeah. now that we have Jesus. So what happened to James? I would say, well, maybe they didn't pray, right? And the saints praying is what really, that's what really released Peter from prison because the saints was praying. Um, I don't think that's it either because when he knocked on the door, they didn't even expect him. Hold on. If you were here praying for Peter, hello, somebody. Oh, Lord, Lord, release Peter. Oh, Lord, release Peter. And somebody come knocking on the door saying, Peter's at the door. The whole church would go, hallelujah. Even to figure out how it happened. Huh? Oh, Lord, heal Pastor Sharon. Heal Pastor Sharon. Pastor Sharon, open her eyes. Hallelujah. No, she didn't. What? Hallelujah. How? What did it happen? What did it look like? Tell me, Aunt Belle. What did she do? Did she turn her head? What happened? You expect it. So apparently the church was not praying that Peter would be released because when he was released, they did not expect it. So can we please stop saying that Peter was released because the people at the church was praying? I just messed up everybody's theology. The prayer was not about Peter's release. The prayer, I believe, was more about the preparation of heart necessary if you had to get in Peter's shoes. See, James had died. Come on, y'all don't want to help me here. And it is apparent that the same outcome might happen to Peter. So we need to pray because whatever happens to Peter is the Lord's business. But I'm still a believer. And if they come knocking on my door, hello, somebody, I need to pray to make sure that I'm going to be ready. I know people are like, uh, uh, nope. I don't like this story neither as much as I do that the prayers is what released them. But that's because we have a sense of control. And a lot of spiritual warriors have too much control. And most of you got into spiritual warfare because of your controlling nature. You have a hard time letting God do his thing. You got a spotlight syndrome, and it needs to be about you. Hello, somebody. He needs to involve you. He needs to use you. And he, hello, somebody. Oh, y'all don't want to help me today. That's why we don't get in a whole bunch of spiritual warfare. If you can't worship God, see what he wants, and just go with that, then you don't need to be over here because you fighting wars with demons that we don't even fight that way. Sister June had to remind me of something coming in this morning that I used to say, That's what, I used to say this 20 plus years ago. Worship always, war when necessary. But we got too many believers out here under spiritual connotations saying we, we war all the time. Oh, we fighting. There's a spiritual war. Worship. Because warring is something that could put people at odds. And we don't want to do that unless it's absolutely necessary. Unless it's necessary. It could put the community at odds. It could put the body of Christ at odds. But don't, don't, don't fret now. We ain't scared to go to war. Ain't nobody scared to fight some demons. Come on, somebody. Ain't nobody scared to step on some serpents. Ain't nobody scared but the devil. 
Please don't expect, don't anticipate my meekness for weakness. But I'm a lover, not a fighter. And he's better at it than I am. But I will stand with him all day, every day. Hello, somebody. Most of us have too much of a control syndrome. So we think everything is a fight. Everyone's coming against what we need to be advancing in God. And it makes us hard to see that that person is actually with us. That they're actually wanting the same thing you want. You're constantly scrutinizing everything they're saying to find how this reveals that they're not really for you. How this might reveal that they really don't know you or see you. Maybe they don't, but they still want the same ultimate goal. Hello? Maybe they don't really get all your nuances. You complicated. <laughs> but they still want the same ultimate goal. Why isn't that enough? Why isn't that enough? Maybe your parent or your mom or your leader may not see you completely as you are, but they still want the same exact good for you. That should be sufficient. Hello, somebody. Ah, all right. So where was I at? Peter was in prison, right? He didn't have the, yes, all of that. James had died. I'm a firm believer looking at this in proper context that it wasn't the prayers of the church that released Peter. But more earnestly, they were praying to make sure they could be ready if it came to them. And that became the mantra for the New Testament church. When it might be us, am I going to be ready? They wouldn't even baptize people early until the apostles had a chance to review them. Because baptism was a public declaration that you're a Christian. And they're afraid that when they came to persecute you, you would quit. You would deny Jesus. And it would make the whole body of Christ look powerless. So they wouldn't even let you baptize into the faith until you showed levels of sacrifice. You can't be running around calling yourself a Christian back then. Are you a Christian? You sleeping around? Number one, if you're sleeping around, you already prefer you over everything else God says. Oh, you out here doing drugs? Again, you already prefer you over everything that God says. No matter what the sin, it's ideally pointed to the fact that you prefer you over everything else that God says. So in the New Testament church, they were like, uh-uh, you ain't getting baptized. And the only reason the Gentiles got baptized is because they saw the Holy Spirit fall. If they ain't see that, no, we're going to let y'all walk this out for a while. <laughs> so now people got smart. They just start speaking in tongues. It used to be that speaking in tongues was the thing to let you know that the Holy Spirit fell. Now people just randomly do it. Bah, 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 bah. I got tongues. And you be looking at their life going, how did you get these? You don't even have enough power in the Holy Ghost to keep your legs closed. You ain't got enough power and dedication of faith to not lie. Hello, come on, y'all. Y'all don't. You don't. You don't even have enough power of the Holy Ghost to stop smoking, weed, marijuana, vapes. Hello, somebody. You don't have enough power of the Holy Ghost to turn down your plate. But you mean to tell me you this is a power of the Holy Ghost that got you over here speaking in tongues? Did I mess up your theology? What you have is a personal prayer language, and that's perfectly fine. 
You have groanings and utterances that you don't even know what you're saying. That's perfectly fine. But are you speaking a language that can be interpreted by someone else? No. If someone rolls to his house and started speaking in tongues, there would have to be, and it was the only person, there would have to be what? An interpreter. Interpretation. Y'all be speaking in tongues all the time. Ain't nobody said nothing that we need to interpret. Again, I'm just going down theology. If you have any questions about this, see me after service. I can give you some scriptural references to verify some of these um, difficult teachings that have caused the body of Christ much division. But let's continue on. So, um, where was I? Peter. Peter did what? 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 Ah, he was released. Peter was released from prison. James was not. The saints prayed, and they didn't even expect him to come to the door. They didn't expect to see him. The woman that heard his voice, she was so excited she forgot to open it. They told her she was mad, she lost her mind. These can't be the same pray saints that was praying for his release. Now I've heard it preached that they was praying and sometimes gotta move in a way you don't expect. Mm -hmm. But you expect it. Hello, somebody. When I'm praying for something and he moves in a way that I don't expect, I'm going to tell you off the top, I still expected it. I expected. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I do know one thing. When Karen had to move, she decided to sell her house. We said earlier on, me and Sheena said, we don't know how. We don't know when. But the Lord's going to change this. We did not expect it would be the next day. Hello? But we knew it, it had to happen. So when we saw it, we weren't shocked. Right. We were just shocked at the expeditiousness yeah. of the Lord. Amen? Amen? I know. This is, can you, can you follow the rest of me with me, please? Yes, Some of y'all are stuck on the idea that I have removed your sense of control. But we have much more to go. Amen? Amen. Deal with that in your personal time. Amen? <laughs> I can prove it to you throughout if you continue on this journey with me that a lot of what you're doing is just um, a sense of control. And it takes far too much effort for the father to tell you to stop fighting against his will. Eventually, you get the hang of it. That's not what he wants. But it requires so much. Too much. Too much wasted time. Too much wasted drama for him to tell you, no, that's not where I'm going. Oh. Because there was too much self involved in that destination. Amen? Amen. All righty. So Peter is released. Yes? Amen. Yeah, we got that much. Yeah. Now, his tell. Remember I told you Peter has a tell like a poker hand when he is given up. Yeah. And it's somewhere along that phrase when, he's, when the angel of the Lord comes to Peter in prison. Okay. And the angel of the Lord could have just said, Peter. Oh, Peter. Peter, my child. Wake up. Peter, get up. Nope. This angel hit him. It says struck him in his side. Get up. Wake up and arise quickly. And then he tells him, put on your garment. That's Peter's tell. Every time Peter gives up, he takes off his garment. 
Oh, y'all don't want to help me today. Some of y'all got to tell. Every time you start sliding down that pit of pity, every time you, you start taking off your priestly robe, oh, come on now, you start feeling, I need to be lit. I need to be free. I need to have a good time. Where we going to turn up at? What we about to do? What we going to get into? I need to, oh, I need to go, oops, come on, let's get into something. What we got going on, man? You know what I'm saying? I mean, every time you get real hood, real secular, what's up you know what I'm saying what oh okay you know I mean just off the top you just get so out of character out of dress just the other day you was hallelujah the Lord is good and some of y'all so afraid to put your garment back on because you know you're gonna take it off I'm preaching better you acting you don't even want to wear holiness because you know you got tendencies to take it off so you sit in between, like, we're not supposed to know you was over here naked. Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. You the one that decided to come to church, no garment on. All your stuff exposed. Because you can't put back on death. And he took off your priestly garment because you didn't want to be associated with Christianity because you don't have the muscle to live a successful Christian hello somebody I, I, I mess this up I'm prone to mess it up so it's best that I don't look too holy it's best I don't look too sold out it's best that I don't let go of everything and all my old stuff because I never know when I might slip back in and I don't want nobody judging me or holding me like they, they couldn't hold me responsible before they walk. Don't look at me as a leader, as a disciple. So you don't really put on your garment or you put it on and you take it off because you're afraid that people might associate you with Christ. I'll show you Peter's example. In order to understand Peter, you got to go back to when he was first called. Hello? In Luke chapter 5, Peter was first called. His name was Simon. In his journeys with Christ um, and in understanding that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus turned his name from Simon to Peter. And Peter means rock. All right. And Jesus told him, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All right. But early on, when Peter was first discipled by Christ, picked, Jesus was teaching a multitude at a lake. And while he was preaching at this lake, the crowd got bigger, and Jesus hopped into Simon Peter's boat. And he said, row me out a little way. So the multitude was on the land, on the shore, and Jesus was out a little bit from the shore preaching and teaching. When he got done preaching and teaching, he told Peter, or Simon Peter, roll out to the deep. Roll us out to the deep and cast your net. This is in, uh, what did I say, Luke chapter 5? He rolled out, he's, and, and Peter said, Master, um, we've been fishing all day, all right? There's no fish out here right now. So Jesus said, roll out, cast your nets. Peter says, all right, at your command, I will lower the nets. They lower the nets. The fish come flying into the net so much so that Peter had to call his partners 
James, and John. James and John, the sons of thunder, are business partners with Peter and Andrew. This is James that just died in Acts. They were business, two brother teams, business partners. They were like this. James is the one that just died, and now they're after Peter. But Peter can recall how we used to fish together. Now he can recall how I first met Jesus. Come on, y'all don't want to help me today. How he rode and got in my boat out of all the boats he could have got in. How he told me to roll out, and, I, and I, was, I was resistant. So Peter resisted when Jesus said, put the net in. Peter was like, look, we've been doing this all day, but if you want me to do, okay, I'll put it in there. But ain't nothing going to come out. And tons, so many fish came out that he had to call uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, the brothers of Zebedee, to come out and help him. Their boat got so full of fish that the boat began to sink the net broke and Jesus told Peter don't worry about it from this point on I'm going to make you fisher fishers of men now you've got to see this what he's trying to say is Jesus just had a net full of souls multitudes upon multitudes of people coming to hear him teach drawing them in with the word of God then he gets in Peter's boat he says, cast your net. Peter is reluctant. And then his net is filled with fish. So Jesus is saying, now I'm going to make you see me pulling in these multitudes. That's going to be you. When somebody shares with you the hugeness of your calling, when they share with you the impact that you're supposed to make, hello, somebody. It makes you feel like you can't possibly be telling me the truth. Hello? But this is running through his head. When the net is full of fish, Peter falls to Jesus' knees, falls on his knees at Jesus' feet and cries out and asks the Lord to forgive him. What does he say? He's an evil, a wicked man. What does he say? He says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, from I, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know, we could say that Peter felt bad that he doubted God and then God blessed him with all these fish. You ever been there? Well, you doubt God and then he shows up and blesses your socks off. He'd be sitting there looking stupid. And we could say that Peter felt bad about that because even when he doubted God, Jesus, and these fish, that there were so many fish that he couldn't even hold them. But I don't think that was the case. Because they later left all those fish. <laughs> so I don't think he was so excited and felt stupid about the fish. But some of us only know Jesus about the money. We only know Jesus in the fact that he can solve our problems. We only know the Jesus that can fix things after we've toiled forever and ever and it had no result. So we come to Jesus because we've tried and tried and tried and couldn't. But this is temporary because when you're able, then you will leave him. I tried everything else. I couldn't do it. So you came to the Lord. So when you can, are you going to leave them? So then check your history. When that area was going well, where were you? How did you handle it? How was your relationship with the Father? Did it continue to progress or did it at some point digress? 
Did you get too busy with the new job? Too busy with the new relationship? Too busy with the extra money? Too busy with all the vacations? Too busy with all the new clothes? Too busy with all the bundles? Too busy with the new earrings? Too busy, hello somebody. Too busy, too busy, too busy, too busy, too busy, too busy. So in truth, there's a part of you also that came to Christ because you saw him as the one that gives you fish when you've been working forever. But that does not make you a disciple. That makes you in the multitude. But it does not make you a disciple. A disciple will leave that provision in order to have the Christ. Peter, Andrew, James, and John all left and followed Christ. Left all that fish. Walked away from their huge corporation. Okay? And followed Christ. We're just going to change everything about what we're doing. Where are you going to work? I'm not. What are you going to do? I'm going to follow him. Where is he going? Mm -hmm. Every time we ask him, he says, we can't go. I'm going, well, I'm going, you cannot go. After I go, then you can go. I don't know what he's talking about, but I'm just going to follow him. <laughs> Where does he live? He says he doesn't have a, a, a place to lay his head. I don't know what that means, but I'm, I'm going with him. Your parents would be like, you are crazy. You better stop it. I'm going to put you in a mental institute. That's why we can't do stuff like that as pastors. Let's go. Mm, oh, no, don't quit your job. Everybody stay. <laughs> Pastor, I'm going to quit my job. Don't. Why? Because they're going to think, I told you to do it. I did not tell you to do that. Stop it. Hello? So uh, James, Peter, John, Andrew left to become fishers of men. That's tough. Peter had some great highs in his walk with the Lord the next three and a half years. He had some wonderful insight. Through the spirit of God, he could clearly see that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. He saw and had an inkling of understanding of what this meant beyond anybody else. But there was always a part that eluded him. I think Peter was a man of strength of great influence. Everywhere he went, people followed him, even if he was doing the wrong thing. Hello. People inquired from him. He had great influence. He's probably a smooth talker. Definitely trusted in his own prowess. But there's one part about his life with Christ that just every time Jesus brought up the idea that he was going to suffer and die, Peter could not deal with that he couldn't understand that if you are God then far be it for you to have to deal with any of this foolishness and his mind you are God and you've come to save us also from all of this foolishness hello somebody what he didn't recognize is the role that God wanted Peter to play as God has inevitably will save the entire world. I'll do it again. Peter knew that Christ was the king. He knew that Christ has come to remove all of this foolishness of death and sin. What Peter could not reconcile is what his role is in God actually doing that. Sometimes we fast forward to the end. 
Sometimes we fast forward to the end and all we know is as long as we're getting the same result, it's fine. And there's always this piece in the middle that you cannot quite figure out how these two things go, but I do know the end is over here. So you just keep trying to realign yourself to the end that you see, not recognizing that that stuff in the middle, that stuff right there, this right here, this counts. And Peter could not figure out how the Christ who is here to save us must also die, be persecuted, strung up on a tree, embarrassed, humiliated, look like he ain't got no power, suffering at the hands of people who are less than him, suffering at the hands of his own creation. He created them. No, 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 no. And when he sold this to Jesus, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. There's aspects of God and his hand in your life that you refuse to notice. You don't want to figure out how this piece fits. So you brush over it and you gloss over it to the, to the end result. Well, what was the point of this person dying? Just skip to the end, whatever. Or what was the point of me losing my job here? Just skip to the end, whatever. What was the point of this marriage? Just skip to the end, whatever. What was the point of me? What was the point? Just skip to the end. This is probably it. That's fine. But it's in those painful moments. Y'all don't want to help me preach today. It's in these points of tears and heartache and heartbreak that you can't quite figure out. Was this the will of God? Was this Satan? Was it me? And you keep saying, I can't figure out which one it is. So I guess I know at the end. But baby, answering this question correctly. Is a part of your identity. Me and Mr. Monifa, you know which one example I'm going to already. She's always come to me and say, Pastor, I just need to know if this is Satan, is it God, or is it me? And she would get so 98 hot with me in her most respectful way when I would say, Minister Monifa, why does it matter? I just need to know. And we would debate back and forth about this. I think she's crossed on over at this point. But, but I would say, if it is Satan, then God has allowed it to happen in your life. If it is you, then he's allowed this to bring you to this point. Like, if it's something in you, he let that something in you. He, trust me, he worked that issue in you to put you right here. That bad thing you had, that's not you, because you, you don't have no lust. Do you understand what I'm saying? She don't deal with that. <laughs> that's not her thing. But that lust that you had, yeah, he let that work you right into this conundrum. You don't, you don't, you don't want to deal with that part. That was the Satan. <laughs> or that was just me. It had nothing to do with God. It was you, and it had everything to do with God. And it still was Satan. All three things are true. Was it God? Yes. Was it Satan? Was it you? Let me help you. All three are true. You can't go dilly-dally in Satan's territory and him not try to take advantage. You cannot be perfect because you are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And God is sovereign over all things and everything that is held up is held up by his word. All three are true. 
Stop spending all this unnecessary drama and time trying to figure out which is which. When you recognize all three things are present, you tend to move a little differently. Me, I go back to, help me, God. <laughs> these three things, I can't navigate these three things. If it was me, I could navigate that. Oh, but then it's Satan. See, now I thought I could stop. Now I can't stop. That's the Satan. If it's you, why won't you help me deliver me? Why won't you set me free? Why won't you get this, remove this from my life? See, now that's you. See, now who could, who could stop you? See, when I got all three, I have to rely on the Father, which is reality. But you have been living in a fantasy that you set up by your own controlling nature. Yeah, that issue you had, he let it work you right to this point. People come to me after falling in sin, and they say, Pastor, I can't believe that I did. <laughs> like, I was doing so good. And, blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, well, I think it's perfect timing. What? I think it's perfect timing. I think I'm just the right pastor in your life to help you through this. What happened before you met me, the results may have been different. Your journey may have been different. I'm just the right person to help you with your newfound baby. I'm just the right person to help you with this. I've been where you are. I've, I've dealt with that. I understand sex, and I understand same-sex attraction, and I've been there, done that. I understand drugs. I did that. I clubbed. I did it all. I did, you name it, I've done it. I, I stole money. I've done all kinds of dumb stuff. I'm so glad that this has come out in your life right now. I'm just the person that can help you through it. So maybe it was God's timing that allowed this issue that you've been dealing with to finally manifest. So now God had a hand in that, in you, in your mess. And did Satan try to take advantage of it? Absolutely. He tried to jump on and add more pressure to it, add more buffeting to it, drag you down even lower. But God intervened and put a stop. Hello? When Peter first came to Christ, this was his, this was the introduction. When Christ had to be crucified, he told Peter, you're going to deny me. You know this story, am I right? He said, you're going to deny me th three times before the cock crows. And when they came and got Jesus and people were questioning Peter as to whether he was with them and he had, and he denied Jesus three times. He denied him until the face of a girl. He denied him over fiery coals that were burning to keep him warm, and he denied him at the temple's gate. Three times he denied Jesus. When Jesus ascends to heaven, I mean, excuse me, is raised from the dead, crucified and raised from the dead, he appears to Peter. Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> Andrew, James, and John. And some other disciples say, we're going to go with you. Again, Peter will lead folk in any direction. <laughs> Peter was the rock. Peter was the strong one. He had great spiritual insight. When he spoke, people listened and heeded. He had so much influence that he thought he could influence God himself with his words. <laughs> Jesus, you, you're, you're confused right now. Pastor, you're, you're grieving right now. You don't know. Listen, let me tell you. 
am, am I? Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Tried to influence the head himself. Peter says, I'm going fishing, and you know the story. Um, I think it picks up somewhere in Matthew. Let me see. Did y'all read that? Did y'all? All right. It's, it's in Matthew, but I'm going to use the one in John, John chapter 21. And I'm using John because John is the prelude to Acts. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels. John is not, although it is a gospel. John is pretty much the intro to Acts. It sets up the book of Acts. So think of Acts as John part two. All right. So in the 21st chapter of the book of John, which I believe is the last chapter of the book of John, Jesus reveals himself to Peter. All right. After he's raised from the dead, Peter is fishing again in the same place on the shore that he first met Jesus. He runs into uh, Jesus. Peter is fishing. A man stands on the shore. It's Jesus. They don't know it. The man asked, have you caught any food? They say no. He says, cast your net on the right side. I think it was James that said, oh, that's Jesus. He said, oh, that's Jesus. They cast the nets, 153 fish so big that they haul it in, but the nets don't break this time. Peter knows that when at the sound that it's Jesus, he puts his garment back on. Every time Peter is ready to give up, he always takes off his garment. And when Jesus shows up, he always got to put it back on. This is the truth. You come into the house of God without your garment thinking, forget it. And then somewhere in the middle of this message, you start feeling like, you know what? I do, I do love Jesus. You know what? I do need, you know, I, I, do, I, remember, I used to go to church. You know, I used to, I used to do this all the time. You know, I used to, I used, you know, you know what? That's what it's here for. It's for you to remember the Christ. So you can put your garment back on. Hello, somebody. Peter put on his garment. Most people would not put on the garment to jump in the water. He put on the garment and started swimming to Jesus. This is where Jesus and Peter had their infamous conversation. And Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Oh. But what he asked him is, do you love me more than these? What he hits at him, Peter, is, Peter, you've always compared your affection for me against others. When, when Jesus said, you know, you can't go where I go, he said, I will go with you. I will die with you. When the sons of Zebedee's mama tried to get them to be on the right and the left of Jesus, Peter was like, y'all don't even know. You don't even know. You ain't even down for him like I am. But he played it cool. But Peter always wanted Jesus to know, I above all of these is down for the set. These folk, they not down for you like me. These people, they not down like me. You need to know that, Jesus. I got your back above all. Who that Judas is? You, 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 you glad you ain't tell me. Hmm, 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 hmm. 
<laughs> Peter and Lazarus, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Tell us who it is. <laughs> Peter's like, yeah, tell me. <laughs> He's a zealot, so you know. But nevertheless, <laughs> Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me more than these? Oh. Here is that part, my favorite part of Peter's life. It's the part where all of your failures are right in your face. Of all your good intentions that went sour. It's the point when you meant to do well, but the baser part of you that you can't even control just instinctively started moving without your consent. He's sitting on the lake, the same lake that Jesus found him. Having eaten and warmed himself by the same coals, resembling the coals that he denied Christ. And Jesus asked, do you love me more than these? And Peter has to, he says, yes, you know I love you. Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Three times. And the third time, Peter answers. And the vernacular of how he answers, yes, I love you, changes. Uh, in its truest form, he uses a word that is lesser than in a couple of other, uh, I don't want to say adjectives, but they're like adjectives in the Greek that, that he adds to it to change the type of love that he said in the first two. So in essence, the, the connotation is, you know that I love you in every way that my feek and weeble and feeble self am able to love you. In essence, I love you the best way I know how. You know. And you know that I love you the best way I know how despite my previous actions. That's a real moment right there. You see and know me. You know that even though I acted like this, I really do love you. And the frustration in his tone is, I'm so mad at myself that what I really feel at a deep spiritual level cannot fully manifest in my day to day life. I love you from a place of identity. I love you from a place of truth and certainty. But right when that love has to bubble and break through some type of obstacle, right when it has to start pushing through some type of difficult situation, right when it has to push through some hurt and some pain and some, some ambiguity of my life, right when it has to push through, it fails. It fails. I know it's in here. I know I love you. But when certain things happen in my life, when certain situations come up, when somebody starts questioning me, when something doesn't go, when it doesn't look the way I think it's supposed to look, when it's not going, and I don't even know why 
of my love for you. And I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I feel like I need to repent. But you know that I love you. You know that I do. I'm confused. Come on. I'm confused. How do I love you this much? How? You're the only, if I ever loved anybody, come on somebody. If I ever loved anybody, if I ever loved anything, if I ever experienced what love might be like, if I ever tasted a true love, you know it was with you. How? How did it not come up? the way it needed to? How did it not manifest the way it should have when the pressure was on? Other people are doing it. James did it. People are doing it all over. Look at me. Peter, do you love me? You know all things. You know that I love you. I love you in every way that I can, and I am a poor example and the same lake that I fell down when I first doubted you, I find myself kneeling down again. When Jesus and Peter first met, it wasn't the fish that made Peter want to ask the Lord to depart from him because, what did he say, he's an evil man? Huh? A sinful man? It was what Jesus taught it wasn't the miracle of the fish. Peter's heart was pricked long before God worked out any situation. When he heard Jesus preaching, when he heard Jesus teaching the multitude, when he saw that this man had the answers to the world, his heart was pricked and changed at that moment. But when it was time to manifest, I mean, think about it. If I'm preaching, and I tell Minister Monifa, men, raise your hands. See, what's she gonna do? She gonna raise her hands. If I'm preaching and I tell her to raise her hands and then she doesn't raise her hands, hello? And her arms fall off. <laughs> you know, I mean, you understand. You are being used as an example to the word that I just preached. Jesus was preaching and teaching to the multitude. Then when he got done teaching and preaching, he wanted to show it. He wanted to give an example. He wanted to see how it lives in real life. And so he tells Peter, let's go out and let's show these people what I really mean. And then Peter gets scared and doesn't. He trusts his own perspective, what he knows, how he sees things, and he hesitates in moving with God. When he recognizes that, you got to leave me. Right now, he's giving up. Leave me. I'm not used to failing. I'm not used to not getting it right. I'm used to loving good. I love hard. And when I love somebody, I put my all into it. And I keep failing miserably with you of the most important, single important thing I've ever seen. And I can't seem to get this right. Just leave me. Leave me, Jesus. 
I'm a sinful man. She's like, ah, don't worry about it. I will make you. Come on now. Don't worry about it. I will make you. Y'all got to see. Oh, come on. Y'all don't want to play. You're trying to say, I should have already been it. I should have already had it. I should know how to do it. I don't know why this thing can't get right. I don't know what it is. He says, calm down, baby. I will make you. I'll make you. Do you think when Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me? Not in order to be right, not to even stop Peter from doing it because Jesus knew Peter couldn't stop doing it if he tried. Jesus is, you, is telling Peter in advance that this is what you're going to do so that you will recognize that I am in control of you. I am in control of your life. I am in control of your circumstances. And I am using you, your life, your circumstances, and Satan to make you a fisher of men. I'm using it to make you. I'm going to tell you this what you're going to do. I know you're not going to be able to stop yourself from doing it. But don't get discouraged. I'm only telling you so that you would know that I have a plan to make you exactly who I said you were going to be. Now come on, rock. Get up. Come on, rock. Wake up. Wake up, rock. Wake up. Wake up, rock. Wake up. Wake up. Sit, 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 sit. I told you so you would know that I am making you. You did not equate that my crucifixion was necessary for my ruling. The saving that I was doing, this was a part of it. You could never bridge those together. Like you can't see how your failures are a part of me making you. You can't see that I saw you. Why didn't you take it from me? Because I'm making you. Why did you remove that from me? Because I'm making you. Why do you stop me from? Because I'm making you. If I stop what you naturally perform, then you're not made new. Come on, if, I, if, if this is in your, sorry, that's the camera, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little excited. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> if this is in your way and I move it, then you don't change. But if this is in your way and I teach you how to get it out, then come on now, you are. Come on now, I've got to make you. It's different than me giving you fish. It's different than me giving you bread. It's different than me giving you a job, giving you a husband, giving you some children. I am making you. I've got to make you, baby. And that looks different. Sit, 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 sit. I said, that looks different. But first, we need, to, we need to see who you are. Peter came to the conclusion, I'm a man that loves poorly. The thing I didn't want to admit about myself, I'm actually that. And God uses that about Peter to make him. Remember, Jesus called Peter the rock. 
when Jesus shows back up and Peter is fishing with his partners and some other disciples, Jesus calls him Simon, son of whoever his daddy was. It's like rather than me calling um, Minister Monifa, Minister Monifa, Jesus just shows up and says, Monifa Peterson. No handle, no title, no calling. He's highlighting the idea, you got real carnal on me. I elevated you to rock, to foundation. And you decided to go all the way back to Tory Smith, son of Mr. Smith. That's it. That's all you got. But we were on to something. We were working towards an apostleship here. You don't understand. And because you saw this flaw in you, you now instinctively think that you're no longer working towards that. Hello, somebody. But just like I changed your name. Hello, somebody. I changed your name because I changed who you are. I changed your name because I wanted to change who you are. Hello? I forgot sometimes what my real name is. People call me pastor so much. <laughs> I had to spell my name on a document. <laughs> I was like, T-A-L-I. I don't even write my name. I either scribble my signature or people call me pastor. I forgot momentarily how to spell my own. Pastor, pastor. I forgot what my name sounds like. People don't even call me my name for. You know, people that call me by my name is my mom and my dad. I don't have anybody else to call me by my first name very often. I don't mind it because I think pastor is a term of endearment. I prefer it. But, you know, people call my name Taliba. Oh, yeah, that is my name. Hey. He changed your name because he cha he's, he's changed who you are. And when he changes who you are, and your insufficiencies rise up, it does not mean you get to go back to who you weren't. It means that we're still making you into who you're supposed to be. And this thing that showed up is a part of that making. It's not a detour. It's not an off robe. You know, like, oops, slipped up, I'm on the wrong side. No, this is always the side. This is always the path. Hello? Would you be like, mm, maybe I got this wrong? No. This is where you're going, and this is a part of making you. Hello, come on and bless the name of the Lord. Come on and bless the name of the Lord. We almost done. Give me, give me five more minutes. Woo wee. Do you love me, Simon, son of Jonah? Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Oh! This has got to be the worst. When face to face with absolute failure. Face to, I mean, you didn't just fail 
little bit. You failed God most high. <laughs> you, you didn't just like have an argument with James. You just didn't have an awe with Sister Teresa. Oh, no. Oh, no. You straight lied on God himself. In his face. When faced with the utmost failure, Jesus then rises from the dead after you denied him. Shows up. Right? In my opinion, I would have been petty. I would have showed myself to everybody but Peter. <laughs> Bartholomew would be like, I saw Jesus the other day. Dang it. <laughs> John, I saw Jesus the other day. Shucks. Peter would be at home. Peter would be at home like, he didn't even show himself to me. He probably still mad at me. <laughs> But Jesus is not even petty. Let me tell you something. When Peter got locked up in jail, I would have left him there. Because when Jesus was in jail, Peter denied Jesus. But Jesus sends an angel to release Peter from, I would have said, no, you're going to sit there for a while. You're going to sit there. <laughs> He's so good. Go ahead and get him out. He need to think about what he did. <laughs> Peter didn't even think he was getting out because he took his garment off. He had to be hit in order to wake up. He wasn't lightly sleeping expecting some breakthrough. He was done. It's a wrap. You know when you mess up and then that, come, that stuff come back full circle, all you think is, it's over now. This is, this is it. You start just taking off your clothes like, you know what, I did it. I'm already down here. You don't even anticipate that the Father will help you all. You know how I know? Because when he does send help via me, you reject it. You have to be struck in order to get your help. Some of y'all are just like that. I'm going to give up. I'm going to give all the way up. Clothes come off. Come on, you come. Just forget it. <laughs> Clothes off. Kick off my shoes. <laughs> and go deep sleep. You know, I'm going to smoke something. So I have to think about it. Deep sleep. I'm going to drink something. So I have to think about it. Deep sleep. I'm going to call somebody. Have a little orgasm. So I have to think about it. Deep sleep. I'm, I'm going to click on something. Deep sleep. Come on, come on, come on. The kids are in children's church now. Don't try to, don't try to, don't try to, don't try to get all, you know. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, they in children's church. I, I know what you do. <laughs> so you can just not even think about, because you feel that this is God just judging you. Yeah. Now, there's something Peter should have remembered. Because when Jesus was asking him, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You don't see the blessing and God giving you something to do. When I used to have to be an evangelist and I was traveling and flying on flights and stuff, and I think sometimes Glenda would go with me, other people, missions and trips, and I would preach. And different people, that anybody that had flight anxiety, they would sit beside me, and I would hold their hand, and, and I would tell them, listen, this is probably the safest place you could ever be. 
because I know I have an assignment on the other side of this plane. So we need to know one thing, you're not dying today. It's just a fact. And we've had some flights where your whole guts come out your mouth. One flight, the stuff fell down from the, the little mask that they be having on the thing. And one lady, her whole thing, it did, the whole compartment fell down. We was like, this can't be good. Her compartment, her mask, I got my mask, but her, her electrical stuff came down too. Her, uh, <laughs> we all looking at it like, Oh, that's right. Oh, oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. People sweating. I'm like, we're going to be all right. Why? Because I got to preach tomorrow. <laughs> Peter did not recognize the blessing in his assignment. Jesus goes on to say, feed my sheep. He says in verse 18 of John chapter 21, and we're going to close with this. He says, uh, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, Peter, I'm going to be real with you. Off the top, you take this to the bank. When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, you're not going to die young. You're going to live real old. Then you're going to hurl out your hands and someone's going to take you to prison. Hello, somebody. They're going to take you where you don't want to go. They're going to crucify you. Follow me. If Peter wasn't old when he went to jail on that Acts chapter 12, then he should have known. It was not. <laughs> Bruh, is you weak and feeble yet? No. Keep your garment on. You're not done. Life is short, but you're not done. Come on, somebody. Life is short, but you're not done. Where is your expectation? Aren't you enjoying your journey with God? Aren't you? I mean, come on. Don't you want to fulfill what he said for you to fulfill? Come on, Peter. Put your clothes back on. Put your garment on, Peter. Get ready. Wake up. God. Last verse. Something we overlook. This is the part that brought tears to my eyes. Maybe it will do the same for you. Verse 19, let's look at this. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. Stop right there. Death for us is something to avoid. Death, when we think of ourselves dying, is some tragedy that has befallen us. Something that we should never look forward to. Something that instinctively we resist at all costs. <laughs> but this one statement 
says that Peter was told in by what way his death would glorify God. Do you think of the way in which you would die and how that glorifies God? I think of my mother. One of the last prayers I had a chance to read in her journal was one of acceptance if the Father doesn't heal me. And I couldn't believe that she wrote it down because I wanted to say, pray that he will heal you. Stop, don't, don't say that. <laughs> but that's my controlling nature that I couple with my spiritual warfare. That is not right. But you can see that one of the parts that she began to recognize was that the will of the Father had to be done even in her suffering. And if God, you can't heal me, the prayer said, at least let me be all right with it. Let me accept it. Now that she's passed, I recognize so much more about the cup of suffering. And my heart aches because I wanted her to have more better days. And she had to go in a way that glorified God. Mother Allie did the same thing. In a way that glorified God that from the outside seems so hard. It seems like we're supposed to live and we're supposed to live to such a point where everything great happens. We try to fill our lives with all the great things, but really life is about dying in such a way that glorifies God. Since death is universal, you're not really living unless you're living in Christ. So in essence, all we're doing is dying. And then he says, now die in a way that glorifies me. The next problem that you have, are you dying in a way that glorifies God? If today was your last day in the midst of that problem, in the midst of that heartache, in the midst of your broken heart, in the midst of your uncertainty, if this was your last day on earth, did you glorify God in the midst of that? Jesus. This is the thing that has befallen you. The imprisonment, the, the crucifixion, the sickness, the disease, the heartache, the heartbreak, the loss, the devastation. And in this moment, in this most tragic moment, are you glorifying God in your tragedy? I just recall something June told me on the road here. She saw my suffering and the amount of pain that I'm in on a consistent basis with the loss of my mother. And she says, you have such resilient strength and she's going on to explain that you know that's my blessings okay and and I recognize that in my dying I want to glorify God that in all the pain that I've been enduring for these two years that I just want God to be glorified in as much as I am able with all of my pain. Like, I, it does not change the pain. Come on, somebody. It does not change the hurt. It does not lift the burden. It does not erase it. It doesn't make it easier. It makes it harder, and it doesn't make it better. And even though it's making it harder, I love the fact that in the midst of this pain, 
suffering, people are still seeing you as king of kings. When I'm crying, they're still seeing you as lord of lords. When I'm in heartache, they still see you as a healer. When I'm cast down, they still see you as a deliverer. Come on, somebody still got delivered while I was shedding tears. Somebody still got healed while I had nowhere to go. Somebody still got set free while my heart is breaking. Come on, God can be glorified in your death. Standing all over the house. 